So it was a non-zero risk. They could end up with a book full of flumps. Well, I hope they do. Hello, hello, welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. As always, I'm Russ, a.k.a. Morris, and with me here is... Peter Coffey from Southampton Guilds Royal Players. And I see you've brought an Angus with you again. I know, I tried to lose him, but he just followed me here. Angus, <laughs> once more we're feeding, who are you and it's... what are you? I'm still a ninth level human. Unfortunately, I haven't managed to uh, increase my level since last week. Keep grinding. I'll just keep trying. <laughs> but I'm still the um, N-World columnist for a couple of columns on Russ's own little site and um, helping out with a variety of jack-of-all-trade jobs in the industry. Yes. Peter? Yes? What caught your eyes this week? Well, something that caught my eye was Boggins, Changeling. Boggins caught your eye this week. Boggins caught my eye. I was like, Boggins, Boggins, that, that sounds yeah, almost right. What is a Boggin? If changing is believed, it's basically a sort of happy little hobbit. Or, or halfling, perhaps I should say, to avoid infringing upon the copyright of J.R.R. Tolkien. But I was so confused. That's not what I remember at all. So I did a bit of a Googling, a bit of wikiing. I was thinking, Boggins, Boggins. And I was like, no, no, the Australian chav... That's a bogan. Uh, it's an improvement on the old word larrikin, uh, but that's not the word we're looking for now. And I was also thinking, oh, bogarts, the malevolent household spirit. Right. Steal your milk, scare your horses, and generally be a pain in the rear. Yeah. Bogarts, also known as bugbears, which of course, as you know, is an irrational fear. And of the same route, you go over to Bog, which is a hobgoblin, medieval English, which leads us into um, the bogeyman, which I'm sure you're aware of is like a very well-known thing, as in like being scary and being out to get you. I think from... we know what a bogeyman is, yeah. Excellent. Go- bogeyman comes knocking at your door. Well, exactly. Hopefully we don't hear any knocking at the door during this podcast. Precisely. Bogeyman's never knocked at my door. I feel left out. Uh, well, possibly it's because of your habit of sleeping uh, completely covered by all the sheets, uh, which of course has well known from the works of Terry Pratchett, will cause the bogeyman existential crisis. So my next question is, how do you know how I'm sleeping? Anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> Angus, what's caught your eye this week? Um, the item that caught my eye this week was actually the, um, the Fall of Delta Green by Pelgrim Press. Oh, yeah. Um, now, the book is written by Ken Height, who is mm-hmm. a fantastic writer and um many great things within the industry, especially with Cthulhu as well. Yes. Um, and he's also the master of the Hawaiian shirt and cargo pants. He is, that's true. <laughs> yep, Ken, Ken's Hawaiian shirts. Um, Delta Green is traditionally being published by Pagan Publishing and Art Dream. So they've done a deal with Pelgrane to actually do a gumshoe edition of Delta Green. But Ooh. as opposed to being a direct translation into gumshoe from the existing campaign, uh-huh. it's set in the 1960s. Do you want to explain quickly what Delta Green is? Right. Delta Green is a uh, government agency in America that will investigate the Cthulhu mythos of a time. Um, it was set up during uh, just after World War II. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Basically is a little bit like X-Files, but for Cthulhu mythos in right. many, many aspects. It's the, it's mm-hmm. the simple elevator pitch for it. Most Delta Green campaigns that are for regular Call of Cthulhu are set in the modern era, whereas this one has gone back in time, set it in the 60s, on the run-up to the fall of, well, the fall of Delta Green, as, is, as the title is, where the um, organisation comes into a lot of trouble 
and collapses down. Things going off in Vietnam. There's a load of one-off um, adventures within there as well as kind of like a campaign arc that you'll be able to play. Yeah. Um, and of course, using the gumshoe system as opposed to Kojim's uh, Call of Cthulhu system. That sounds really good fun. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it sounds really. It, it, yeah, it looked really good. So who, who's, to who's, be anything, anything, anything that Ken Height writes is yeah. is bound to be very good. Right. Okay. Well, my thing is mm. a game called Dusk City Outlaws. Oh, this yeah. is by uh, Rodney Thompson, who you mm-hmm. may know from such shows as Lords of Waterdeep. Ah. Um, also, he worked on D&D 5th Edition, and um, I believe he worked on the Star Wars, Wizards of the Coast D20 Star Wars RPG before that. Ah. Um, he left Wizards, I think it was about a year ago, mm-hmm. to work for a video game company, but he also set up his own kind of little indie um, RPG company to keep so he could keep working in the industry. Mm-hmm. His first product was a Kickstarter, and um, he produced this uh, Dusk City Outlaws game, mm-hmm. which um, I backed, and this arrived a few weeks ago. Nice. Um, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but I have looked at it. And i got to say, I really, really, really want to play it. Nah. It's a glorious box set as well, it's isn't it? It's gorgeous, yeah. yeah. So we've got a box set, you've got booklets, you've got tokens, you've got dice, mm. everything you need in the box. So is it an RPG? Or a... Yeah, so it's quite an interesting RPG. Oh. So it's kind of... It's, it looks it's like a, a board game, I'll be honest. It's a bit like a film. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you think of like a sort of heist film. Yeah, Ocean's Eight. Yeah, think think of Ocean's films, or maybe sort of a little bit like a sort of Firefly, robbing the train, or you know, any any kind of heists. Yeah, Yeah. so so it's so solo, for example. it's it's medieval heists. Yes, and uh, each character um, starts off with like a specialty. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're also a member of one of various factions, yeah. and those two things sort of contribute towards your character. And then the game is divided into these kind of like periods. So you start off with um, a montage yes. uh, in which each of your characters is kind of introduced. You know, like at a film, yeah. right at the start of the film, you'll sort of see Indiana Jones have a little mini adventure before the film starts, oh, yes. or Bond does yeah, before yeah. the music starts, and stuff like that. So it's mm-hmm. a bit like that. So each character has a little sort of narrated montage mm-hmm. to introduce who they are, what their sort of specialty is, what their kind of hook is. Yeah. Then they get um, given the sort of mission, the heist, by some kind of NPC. Yeah. Uh, and then you go into these various planning stages. Like the first planning stage, each character is going to take like uh, a lead in mm-hmm. a sort of um, setup stage. So it might be that they need to gather some information or they need to make sure that one of the guards is blackmailed or bribed or it might be, could be anything Ooh. so each character has their own little role to play before the heist mm. in setting up the heist yes then you have a planning stage which is actually timed like 15 minutes or so mm-hmm. um, where the players have to sit around and actually plan the heist mm. and then um, you actually sort of do the heist itself oh and um, all throughout all of this there's this uh, score called heat which oh. um, you're accumulating for your actions and that's basically how much the watch is looking at you, how yeah. sort of public your actions are and stuff like that. Mm. And the GM can use those heat points yeah. to sort of throw complications your way. <laughs> no, no, it sounds very interesting. Yeah, it looks fun. Yeah. It looks great for sort of like a sort of one-shot. Mm. Medieval impossible. Yeah, yeah, um, basically. It looks um, great um, fun. Um, yeah. I definitely want to try it sometime soon. Definitely, yeah. So, yeah, that's what I saw this Well, maybe after the podcast we can have a go. Yeah, why not? Hey. Uh, okay, also in the news, I just wanted to touch on the Origins Award winners. You know, we brought those up last week. Uh, mm-hmm. What we mentioned last week were the, the two uh, Academy Award RPG categories. Mm-hmm. So basically, the uh, the Academy sort of voted on those two. But what we didn't mention was the Fan Favourite Award. So as you recall, the role-playing game of the year was Adventures in Middle-earth Player's Handbook from Hugo 7. That was the best RPG system. Yeah, was, yeah. Uh, so have you got any guesses as to what the Fan Favourite Award was? 
Oh, a tricky there's, one. Yeah, there's a lot of very, very good choices in the mm. categories, wasn't there? Strong, strong choices. Um, we had things like Blades in the Dark, Tales yes. of Questia, My Little Pony, yeah. um, Traveller Basic Set, mm-hmm. Starfinder. Uh, Bolt, I think, as well, yeah. Which one? Uh, well, I think Star, Star, actually, yeah. two that, for some reason, mm. I accidentally missed out last week, that were on the tab, were also Star Trek Adventures and Tales from the Loop. Oh. So I'm going to go for Tales for the Loop from okay. Loop because mm. that is an excellent game and, and it's done so well. What's your guess? There's just so many. You know what? I don't even know. Which I tell you what my guess is. What's your guess? Right? My guess is Starfinder. Your guess? So that's, that's my guess, guess yeah. is Starfinder. Right. So we'll just we see who's right then. Who, who who's right? We've no idea. Who could it be? <laughs> <laughs> well, let, me, well, let me have a look. Goodness, look at that. Starfinder. Oh, I, I, I call insider knowledge there. <laughs> what, what, what were the chances? Well done. Well yeah, done. the fact that I'm sitting here with an iPad on my lap looking at it right now. That might have been a giveaway. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, congratulations to Pezo. Starfinder won the Fan Favourite Award at Origins. Bravo. Yes, uh, Origins. Was there not some unpleasantness went on around there as well? Uh, yes. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, well, I... Don't have any primary sources per se, but I heard there was reports of a board game designer or something going around asking if people would like to, quote, playtest his erect penis. Sounds charming. Yeah, uh, what passes through people's heads that they think this is any sort of acceptable behaviour? It seems, seems, because, you know, on the end world, we we frequently report on sort of harassment issues at various conventions and so forth. And, you know, it comes up really far far well I say far too frequently even once is too frequently but yes uh, it comes up frequently mm. I've gone last year um, obviously mm. Origins as you mentioned just yeah. now um, and other conventions going back over the years yeah. um, so this particular one um, so what's what's been the fallout of this what's happened at the moment I've heard that Origins have investigated right. and they're taking steps yeah they, they, they've, they've issued, issued a statement saying they're investigating and want anybody with information to come forward to talk to them um, because one of the things is that although they've heard the allegations mm. nobody's actually approached them apparently you know as of the yeah. time that they sent out this uh, press release right um, so they want to have more information yeah they want people to come and talk to them so they can find out yeah they can investigate it fully I mean as an organiser I'd hope to not have to deal with it. It's not because I don't want, not because I don't think this thing ever would happen, but just because I would hope that people would come to a convention and act like humans, act like people, not go around just being incredibly gross and horrible to like everyone else. Um, and I would also hope that if someone did start it, they'd get all of wants off and then people would just turn around and say, no, stop that. That's an acceptable behaviour. And well, it's, um, it's certainly a case for having you know strong and robust anti-harassment policies yeah, yeah. Um, posted clearly, publicly, and not only posted, they have mm-hmm. reacted on as well. There's no point of just course. you know it's, you can't have a paper tiger. Um, it, and it has to be seen to be acted on so that yes. people feel safe yeah. when they visit these yeah, places because they know that they're, they're safe there. And, yeah. and it takes a lot of guts for somebody to put their head above the water and go actually and say, I was harassed. Happened. Yeah. Because well, well, yeah, yeah, look yeah, at yeah. the no. amount of abuse so many people have received when yeah. they have come out with claims. Yeah, oh, they oh, get jumped on. Absolutely, and it's like, well, that that that's shouldn't just be on the organisers. There are presumably other people like us, guys, in the place. If they, if you do hear something, then just say, hey, cut that right out. And it's just not just on women to do stuff. It's also it's interesting. There are some publishers now. Pelgrim Press, I think, is like taking the lead on this. 
is mm. they won't go to a convention or be part of a convention that doesn't have a strong anti and public anti-harassment policy. Mm. So well, they don't go to UK Games Expo now, isn't it? Cause yeah, because Games Expo don't actually have, apparently, a policy in place. So mm. there's a few conventions they, they don't go to around the world. And they'll actually... You know, try and go. You know, try and go out of their way to support conventions that do mm. have a good, you know, good yeah. policy. They've got. I think they've got an example of a anti-harassment policy on their website saying, yeah. you know, if you want one, here's one you can use. Yeah. You know, if you if you need a hand writing it or whatever, here's a sort of boilerplate example, and you can find other similar things around the web. And of course, Origins harassment wasn't the only harassment thing that was actually in the game's news over the last seven days. Really? Because um, there's a popular blogger called Katie who used to work for Azizium Games and do a lot of um, demonstrations for them around UK conventions as mm-hmm. well as for other board game companies and you know over in America. And she published a blog recently, you know, the last week, detailing her experiences of yes. harassment at places like Dragme and also Origins again in past years. Mm. Um, and you know, highlighting how much more you know can you know can be done. So that's uh, another book that I would suggest people go and have a look mm-hmm. um, because uh, you know she's been very open about her experiences as well. Yeah, I think um, some of the initial misreporting happened, and they said it was her that it happened to. And obviously, they didn't actually bother checking with her, which she said, "No, I just talk about this sort of thing." Yeah, yeah, this, this has happened to her in past years, not yeah. the not the origins thing this year. The Truth About Sexual Harassment and Board Gaming, Katie's Game Corner, uh, which I had a look at. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on there. Definitely worth a read. Okay, so uh, last week's competition, mm-hmm. where you had to name the owner of the Polarm Emporium. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, we got quite a lot of uh, correct entries on yes. um, Twitter. Uh, the yes. correct answer is, of course, Brandistock. Brandistock. B-R-A-N-D-I-S-T-O-C-K, which is a type of mm. weapon. Yes. Choosing a random winner. The winner is MN Blockhead. MN Blockhead. And if you want to message me on Twitter with your address, I'll get that book straight out to you. Ah. And what address should he uh, use to... Well, he knows because he's already tweeted me, but it's ah. at Morris. Morris, you say. How do you spell that? M-O-R-R-U-S. M O R U S M O R R U S all together now M O R R U S isn't that the name of the Patreon as well? It is. Oh, fantastic! If you head on over to patreon.com forward slash Morris, um, you'll find that you can support our little podcast. Hey, um, we really would appreciate your support because yeah. you know this podcast does cost us money, and we really, really would appreciate your support. And in exchange, you will get access to our outtakes and deleted scenes. Most embarrassing. I mean, last week there was a good half hour of extra content where we not only had uh, outtakes, we also discussed Curse of Strahd at length, yes. and various other things. So it's not just bloopers; it's you know, it's extra you, content too. You can ha- hear me doing a silly puppet voice, and you can also hear two alternate takes of the um, Polarm sketch. Yes, please head on to patreon.com forward slash Morris and just drop us a little bit of spare change. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, so we're having another competition this week. Again, it will be based on the uh, hilarious sketch we'll be performing later in the show. Um, you'll find the competition question and the prize at the end of the show. Oh, fantastic. Shall we do the uh, our favourite game in all the world? Our favourite game in all the world? Yes, guess the Kickstarter from being told just the name. Ah, oh, fantastic. That is a good game. That is the best game. As always, Angus, you cannot play this game. I because know. Because we are basing it off the column that you wrote. 
Unfair. And if you were to play it, that would be cheating. Are you ready, Peter? I'm born ready. Let's do okay, it. Okay, then your Woo. task, if you choose to accept it, and I know you do, is to describe these RPGs based on just their title. Item number one. The Book of Many Things. Well, since that sounds heavily related to the deck of many things, I'm going to guess it's some sort of fifth ed supplement, possibly being full of things that one would find in a dungeon or something like that. Three out of ten. Three out of ten. Oh, oh, my wait, best wait. score yet. I'm going to give you those three points of picking up on the the word many. Many? <laughs> in that there are multiple items within the book, but nothing else was correct. Oh, okay. Well, so. so it's not fifth ed? It is not fifth ed. It's Pathfinder. Ah. Uh. Um, Clearly, it is not different. things you would find in a dungeon. It is uh, races, classes, archetypes, convergences, feats, spells, new items, and magical locations. Uh, there's actually two volumes of it. Ooh. First volume is available now, that they'll be sent out after the campaign finishes. Mm-hmm. And the second volume will be hopefully released around October time. Yes, let's do it. Right then, the next yeah. one. Okay, Peter, what is this? The Mountain Witch, Samurai Blood Opera in Mythical Japan. That's a cracking title, I'll tell you that. It's a great title. Yeah. Okay, so we've got Mountain Witch, Japan, Samurai, Blood Opera. I'm going to say it's some sort of orientally themed game. It's a good guess. <laughs> a good guess. Um, let's see, Mountain Witch. Mm, so I'm. it's probably going to be one of your more story-driven games, I feel, uh, rather than your general hack and slash. I've got the feeling that we're looking at... Um, like a small group of people in a sort of a Legend of the Five Rings veins, but less concerned with your social standing in the world than more really deep diving deep into sort of the myth and mythos, the exciting legends surrounding uh, feudal Japan and the mountain witch getting the titular figure will be some sort of um, major antagonist. Okay, well... I'm going to arbitrarily give you 7 out of 10 for that one. Oh, my worst score yet. That's wait, not bad, that. That's not no, bad. Wait, are the numbers supposed to go up or down? I assumed I was supposed wait, to get a lower score popular. <laughs> yes. All right, so it's a self-contained role-playing adventure, and you take on the role of Ronin in mm. a mythical medieval Japan. Mm. Do you want to add to that, Angus? Yeah, The Mountain Witch actually originally came out in 2004, so it's a mm. reprint of one of, the, one of the original wave of indie games that... Uh, Nice. Started a lot of the kind of like the indie movement. It came from kind of like the Forge website at the time, which was a very, very oh, big yeah, yeah. forerunner of the movement as well. It was um, one of the classic games. It was the, you know, kind of like you had Spirit of a Century from Evil Hat, yeah. Dogs in the Vineyard, My Life, mm. My Life with Master. Mountain oh. Witch was one of those big, big games that was very heavily sought after mm. back back in the day. Yeah. Unfortunately, it went out of print, and due mm. to the personal circumstances of the author, it just vanished. It wasn't available electronically or anything else. Oh, he's yeah. now back. He's now redoing the you know the, the game again. Um, and for the first time, it's also got a deluxe box set that looks really really good, as well as a reprint of the actual uh, the actual book itself. So yeah, it's it's one that I think has a lot of people excited. Sounds good. Rightly so. I'm excited. I've only just heard of it. Good times. You look excited. The next Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. This is a little easier, I think. Uh, Advanced Labyrinth Lord. Well, I was listening to a podcast describing the labyrinth being descended from the word labyrinth, meaning axe. So that's all set in Gnosis, ancient Crete, Minotaurs. Uh, I'm hoping there's a Minotaur in it, or at the very least, some sort of uh, medieval maze which one goes through to enhance one's understanding of the soul as a meditation technique. 
That also being a labyrinth. I if it's possible to give you actually negative points for something. <laughs> Am I really that far off? Okay, bye. <laughs> labyrinth came yes. out in uh, like uh, 2007. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it's a popular OSR game. Oh yes, that's nice. So this is um, a combined volume containing the original Labyrinth Lord, uh-huh. and also it's it's got a supplement called Advanced Edition Companion, which is advanced sort of first edition options to the game. Yeah. yeah. Dark Naga, mm-hmm. Carcosa, mm-hmm. fifth edition. Well, you know, I think mm-hmm. you can guess the game system. But what is uh, Dark Naga Carcosa? Well, Carcosa. First thing it says to me is it says like Lovecraft and like um, like Lost Carcosa being a city in the mythos. But if memory serves, uh, Carcosa is also Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Uh, one of their settings. So I'm going to take a punt here and say rather than being a Cthulhu, abduct- Cthulhu Mythos adaptation, it is in fact um, Lamentations of Flame Princess transporting it over to Fifth Dead, which could work. No. No? no. Just wrong. No. Marvellous, marvellous. Do you want to share this one, Angus? Um, yeah, Carcosa's the fifth, fifth part to the final part of an adventure series by Dark Naga Publishing. Oh, Haunting of Hasta series. Ah, um, this one's for 12th level characters and will basically oh. wrap up for you know, the, the whole campaign that they've been running. Secret Agents of Cross. How do you spell Cross? C-R-O-S-S. Damn. Okay. What um, were you hoping it was? I was hoping to get a clue. <laughs> <laughs> Secret Agents of Cross. Mm. So Cross is presumably some sort of agency. Secret Agents, we've got sort of a spy sort of thing going on I'm going to say I'm going to say it's not Fifth Dead oh oh. I will give you a clue the the word cross yes not only is it an acronym it's also relevant to the subject matter Uh, the the thing you have to remember of course is the backronym is a thing where one says I want to use this cool word and then you come up with stuff backwards like I suspect that might have happened here it could well have done being a fictional organisation we'll also give a shout out to Agents Shield woohoo anyway come on moving swiftly on damn my attempts to stall have failed once more yes um, so you've you've guessed clandestine spy agency so far I've guessed Christian as well Um, yeah so you're guessing a Christian clandestine spy agency uh, I'm going to throw a cult in there has something like uh, I don't know, maybe Rome or wow. secret society, but yeah, I can't. I don't really have anything to put that's it all together. Pretty, pretty good. To be honest, that's a really so good guess. Christian Rome occult secret society. Unless your guess is that, it, Oh right, uh, that's not what the actual answer is. I, no. I was going to be very impressed. I was like, that's no, a terrible you've reaction. Got, you've, you've got you've got the theme right. So yeah, yeah. Catholic response organization to strategize and strike. But you are right. It is basically it's a Catholic clandestine spy agency i see yes well that's certainly a um certainly a book one could write yes hmm. uh, it's uh, for savage worlds it's, it's created by a, a rogue cardinal the agency that is not the game yeah it's created by a rogue <laughs> cardinal um, and he takes the pope's prayers and converts them into actions I, i'm sorry i'm just like envisaging someone escaping from the vatican making their way to triple x games and saying <laughs> Hey, I have a plan for a game here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so basically, um, they use cutting-edge technology and saintly magic honed over 2,000 years of history. The Bespoke Bestiary. Uh, bespoke Bestiary would be... Bestiary is traditionally like a list of monsters that you can 
murder hobo around and stab. That is what a bestiary is, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how one would make it bespoke. Uh, maybe it's like a list of customisable monsters. Although they're all pretty customisable. So what it might be is it might be a list of monsters and a way to actually turn them into... Oh, like a list of ways to create monsters and ways to balance them for some game system. Uh, I'm feeling safe. Let's say 5th Ed. Yeah, so it's a 5th edition monster manual. Hey! Um, it's uh, a bunch of new takes on classic monsters, yep. along with um, some brand new critters that the Kickstarter backers come up with, which I guess is where the bespoke uh... comes from. Um, so each monster has like a two to four page spread. Uh-huh. Um, it's all full colour and stuff. And um, it kind of contains all the information you need in order to run that monster effectively. Oh, nice. They've got a section here which says what makes it bespoke. Uh-huh. Um, so basically the Kickstarter backers sort of ideas and votes and pledges and things define the book. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, the, the goal of the bestie, they say, is to create a t- tome full of your favourite monsters pulled directly from your imagination and the imaginations of the backers who pledged with you. Mm. So there's a non-zero risk They could end up with a book full of flumps Well I hope they do Okay then, next one Velvet Generation Okay, another one of my favourite kinds Velvet Revolution Would make reference to Cold War shenanigans I think Bulgaria, if memory serves Probably not, it's been a while uh, who else wore velvet? Um, oh, people from the 60s and 70s. Yeah, that's close, uh, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so all he needed was some encouragement. So yeah. think... It's very much about sort of like um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, David Bowie and um, Starman and stuff to me, actually. It's, uh, so basically, um, radio transmissions from Earth go through uh, like a wormhole in space mm-hmm. and um, this alien world hears rock music. Mm-hmm. Um, the aliens sort of grow to love this rock music and what the the planet that is sending them these uh, amazing, amazing messages. And when the music cuts off as mysteriously as it began, they begin a pilgrimage to discover the source of the music. Oh, yes, when you say it that way, it all sounds so reasonable. That sounds fantastic. I love it. Yes, yes, it's a brilliant plan with no drawbacks. After a century, yes. the aliens have arrived, but Earth is not what they expected. Humanity's taken a dark turn, silence and music, the arts and literature, and any kind of expression that they believe could inspire dangerous thoughts. The Ministry of Music looms large over the entire world, stomping out rebellious culture with steel-sheathed jackboots. Yeah, so what we have is a bunch of star children descending, joining the Earthlings, uh, and catalyzing a rock and roll revolution to break the ministry's chains on the souls of humanity. Now, this book is actually a new edition of a book that came out into a role playing game that came out in two thousand and two uh, that was called Star Children: The Velvet Generation. Right. Hmm. I think me and Angus like the idea of this more than you do. <laughs> <laughs> the last yes. starter in our favorite game in all the world. Starship Infernum. Ooh. Uh, is that the whole thing? Yes. Well, I'm going to guess it's on a starship. Well, there's a description after it in, in the title, but I don't. if I give you that, okay. you've got the answer. Ah, well, okay. Uh, so, science fiction? Uh, yeah. Again, we're going with the pseudo-Latin roots. We've got Infernum, which would be like what? An Inferno? I don't know. A single hot flame? So, I don't know, maybe it's a, a science fiction role-playing game about, like, Travelling the universe and the way you get between your different solar systems, you basically have to plunge your spaceship into the 
heart of a star uh, to get some really epic travel sequences and just to laugh in the face of physics and give it a kick in the nuts. Well, that game does sound fun. That game does sound fun. We should totally play that game. <laughs> I remember. What's this game about? <laughs> this game is a game of sci-fi survival horror. Um, the uh, the resolution mechanic of this game is a hand of blackjack. A hand of blackjack? Mm. As in so 21? Uses, yeah, so it uses cards rather than dice. Okay. Uh, adventures usually take two to four hours. The game apparently requires no prep because like the hmm. ship layout and obstacles are generated from a deck of cards and crises are determined at the start of play. Okay. So quite story-driven. Um, survival it looks, horror? Yeah, it looks, it looks a little board gamey. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, if you've got survival horror going on, you're going to need to be able to track resources for, I guess, oxygen, as well as food and water and so forth aboard Starship. So that will give you board game elements. Hmm. It's interesting. Hmm. Anyway... That is the end of um, our favourite game in all the world this week. Oh, I'll say it's not so. No, until next week. Until and next we week. We'll discover some more exciting Kickstarters and see if you can guess what they are just from the title. Hooray! Old man sitting in the corner, why do you look so mysterious? Ah, greetings, Sir Knight. I've been waiting for you. You have? Sitting in the shadows by the fireplace? Yes, I have an important quest for you. A quest, you say? Well, I am a fan of quests. Tell me more, old man. Uh, this quest is very important. Good, good. My favourite kind of quest. Pray thee, old man, impart thy quest. Mm, very well. Yes? Well, I need you to. Yes? Uh, venture down into the cellar. Yes? And slay twenty rats and bring me their belts. Uh, no offence, old man, but that doesn't sound very important. I am a noble knight. Why need I slay mere vermin? Oh, it's it's the only way I'll know that you're ready for the next quest, Sir Knight. That makes no sense. Oh, you must prove your worth. Uh, then you may undertake a greater quest. Next quest. Well... That one must be important. Tell me about this second quest. Ah, you will have to yes. um, travel to the nearby Moaning Woods. Yes. Enter the forest in the dark of night. Yes. Ah, while the moon is full and the darkest face spirits about. Yes. And slay forty badgers and bring me their pelts. I see. Look, old man. I mean, no disrespect. But these quests do sound rather trivial. You promised me an important quest. Indeed. Um, but before I can impart to you the greatest quest, you must prove your worth. Only then can I entrust you with this quest so noble that only the greatest of knights may undertake it. The greatest of quests, you say? Very well, old man. Tell me of your final quest. It doesn't involve slaying dozens of vermin and bringing you their pelts, does it? No. Good, because I would be very cross if it did. It does not. You promise? I swear upon my life, Sir Knight. Then, old man, although I know not who you are, I shall gladly accept your quest. What, pray tell, must I do? You must enter the deep swamp of the Undying Slime. Yes. And locate the forbidden tree of the dead. Yes. Which can be found beyond the forgotten marsh of necrocrotic lilies. Yes. And collect sixty swamp mushrooms and bring them to me. Old man, 
I once slew the three-eyed bladder beast of the caves of lesser doom. I defeated the cantankerous troll of the unreachable reaches. I bested the myopic sphinx in a battle of wits and rescued the sullen prince from the lair of the miniature fire giants. I defended the tinfoil keep from the forces of the white necromancer and turned the tide in the battle of seven wastrels. I am the bearer of Oxcalibur, the 19th sharpest sword in the Twelve Kingdoms. I am an accomplished and heroic knight. These trivial tasks are beneath me, sir. Had you engaged in worse cliches than these? Do you not recall your search for the Golden McGovern? Hmm. Fair enough, I suppose. So, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the size of the tabletop role-playing game market. I don't necessarily think that size should matter that much, but let's carry on. <laughs> so, uh, Peter, I guess, how big would you say the tabletop role-playing game market is? I don't know, on the order of tens of millions? Mm, not bad, yeah. and I can tell you how big it is. In uh, 2016, uh-huh. 2017, according to ICB2, the uh, North American market yeah. was worth $35 million. Oh, okay. That is uh, of a hobby games market. Yeah. Which is uh, worth about $1.4 billion. <coughs> okay, right. What's um, a hobby game? Uh, so the hobby games market is sort of everything. It's collectible games, miniatures, board games, card and dice games, and role-playing games. Okay. Yeah. So of that $1.4 billion, yeah. the uh, tabletop RPG market is the a, a small sliver of the uh, entire hobby games market. Yeah. The collectible games market is much bigger. Mm-hmm. It's like 52% of that. Yeah, of that. yeah. wow. That's, yeah. like, that's stuff like magic, yeah? Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, and then you get um, the miniatures games, another mm-hmm. 15% roughly. Uh, your uh, Warhammer 40K is what I used to play. War, War, Warhammer is probably the biggest yeah? okay. biggest one out of that mm-hmm. sector to me. Uh, board games are good 21%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Card and dice games are 8.8%. Mm-hmm. And then down this tiny sliver mm-hmm. of the uh, hobby games market, RPGs, 2.9%. $35 million. Wow. To put that in perspective, Games Workshop's uh, last filed accounts had them having a turnover of something around about £120, £530 million. Pounds. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, which would be well, about $180 million. Mm-hmm. So and that's just Games Workshop by themselves. So Games Workshop by themselves are bigger than the RPG North American RPG. Yeah, several times over. Okay. So the hobby game market as a whole, compare yeah. this to a movie, for yeah. example. So uh, 35 million yeah. uh, is the size of the RPG market. Right. 1.4 billion is the size of the total hobby games market. That's roughly the size of the largest sort of uh, major blockbusters. So one big Avengers film is about the same as the entire hobby games market. So it's like a uh, hundred times bigger. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so the, uh, the global film industry uh, in 2015 yeah. was 38.5 billion. RPGs, wow. remember, 35 million. That's a lot of money slashing around. Um, it gets even worse when I say worse, but um, oh, uh, the video game, the video game industry oh, yeah, yeah. dwarfs even the film industry. Right. 91 billion is the size Ooh. of the video game industry in 2016. 91 billion. 91 billion. Or a V. With a B. Oh, wow. So the uh, of the video game industry, so basically something like Grand Theft Auto Five, yeah, is many, 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 many times the size. That one video game is many times the size of the entire hobby game market. Yes. 
it's, you know, it's astonishingly large. Like the video game market is so much bigger than anything else, yeah. even the film industry market, that the hobby game market is a tiny sliver of the video game market. That, and then the RPG market is a tiny sliver yes. of the hobby game market. Just but, to give you a sort of sense of scale. Well, don't forget that video games is also going to include like all the so-called casual games, like Candy Crush and all that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, I, assu- I am. I'm going to assume that includes yeah. mobile gaming and you know the whole range of. I, I'm not sure why they're called casual games because I've never met anyone who played it casually. They've all been really intense about it. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, wow. Yeah, some so a number a number of video games these days have got blockbuster Hollywood budgets as well. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. I can't remember which one it was, but there was one that actually had over a hundred million. Yeah, like the GTA, yeah. the GTA yeah. games. Which, yeah, when you enormous. consider there is an order of magnitude bigger than the film industry, mm. it's actually surprising that not more. Video yeah. games have got those sort of, you know, large budgets. Yeah. Well, it all sounds quite bad. You, it kind of mm. makes you think, oh, no, our hobby is a tiny, tiny thing. But there is good news. Yeah. Um, okay. Our hobby is growing. It's been growing oh. year on year. Um, oh. So from 2013 until sort of 2016, 2017, mm-hmm. the market has grown from um, 700 million to uh, 1.4 billion. That's right. quite a substantial increase. RPGs... Mm-hmm. have more than doubled in size in that time. Okay, so they've so, kept up with the rest of the Yeah, market. so back in sort of 2013, the RPG industry was about 15 million in size. Mm. It's now 35 million. Board games have tripled in size. Oof. So there's definitely a sort of big tabletop boom going on. Oh, one, yeah. one of the things I'd say about the role play, though, is that during that time, obviously there was one big factor that was released in the last five years that was recording that was probably largely solely responsible for a massive jump, and that was the fifth edition of D&D. For the RPG sector. For the yeah. RPG so, sector, mm. yeah. And, and also the sort of mainstream adoption of that by streamers, mm. yeah. um, outlets like Critical Role, uh, Hollywood celebrities sort of, um, you know, I say coming out, you know what I mean? Just, uh, Get, you know, yeah. well, being more public about their love yeah. of the game and, and stuff yeah. like that. And uh, that's... Will Wheaton, Vin Diesel, Yeah, uh, that's, that, that's all helped. Stranger Things definitely has had yeah, like an effect. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I've got people writing into me at the Southampton Guild saying, I've got a fifth edition player's handbook. Uh, can I come along and learn how to play? And it's just like the idea of actually having an RPG book without knowing how to play RPGs already mm-hmm. just seems completely opposite how I got into it. So would you like to drill down a bit into that RPG segment? Mm. So now we know like the, how big the segment itself is, yeah, yeah. Um, we can sort of look how that's divided up amongst all the different games. Uh, it's 35 million in North America. Yes. So it's like, I guess, quite hard to get figures for the rest of the world. It's, yeah, it's, it, it's very, very hard to get a global view on how much you know, mm. the actual industry is worth because obviously it's broken down to loads of different distributors yeah, yeah. and retailers and publishers and everything else. Um, a lot of the financial information is kept very, very close to obviously companies, mm. Gems, you know, a lot of it yeah. um, isn't going to want to kind of like be you know, shared around. Yeah, they're not going to want to share around their, their sales figures and stuff. Yeah. Um, one good indication is probably Asmodi, who obviously have been hoovering up Dozens of big publishers and everything else. Fantasy Flight Zone to buy Asmodi, Days of Wonder. They, they were what, a Vizdian or something? Um, no, Asmodi was a French company. It started right. off in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. But it's only been re- really within the last probably 15 years um, that they've started really 
hoovering up other companies. And that was partially because oh. they got taken over by a venture capitalist firm. Right. And they've invested a lot of money. So they have ended up buying... There's a number of distributors, like as DGM Games in the UK, mm. that they took over and you know now own. Right. Um, there's a load of board game publishers, Z-Man Games, Fantasy Flight yes. Games, Days of Wonder... Played hat games. Yeah. The list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Of probably the ninety percent of the big board game sellers, mm-hmm. publishers are actually under owned by Asmodee. Catan is now owned by Asmodee for the English language version. Yeah, wow. they own so much of the kind of like the top, yeah, the top sellers. Now they themselves have actually gone up for sale as such, and I think they're looking to sell Asmodee. For one point four billion dollars, right? Which yeah, and that's one company within the industry. Now, obviously, yeah. it's a very very large company, yeah, yeah, and owns a lot of titles. But uh, yeah. yeah, but that does yeah that that'll have a major effect if it does sell because obviously there's not no one within the industry that could be able to afford to buy them. No. So they're really looking for either other venture capitalist firms that are looking to cash in on the board game boom or a major other entertainment player that Hasbro could potentially afford it. You know, but there's not very many companies that can afford it that work traditionally in the industry. And also the ones that can afford it, you've got to wonder, will they actually be interested in 99% of anything that Asmodee are actually selling? Anyway, so we were going to uh, drill down into these figures a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I've got the uh, latest report from the Orr Group in front of me here. Mm-hmm. So the Orr Group are the company that runs um, probably the most uh, popular tabletop role-playing virtual um, application, Roll20. Oh, yes, yeah. And uh, they periodically release their sort of usage stats mm. to give you a sort of insight into what games are being played online. So this isn't necessarily an accurate representation of what's being played at home, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's the best sample we've got, so it's all, all, all we can... Yeah. Work with. So this is like online games played through Roll Twenty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so um, they've got a, a sample size here of um, nearly one hundred and thirty thousand games mm-hmm. um, they're mm-hmm. using. Okay. Um, and they report that, um, as expected, fifth yeah. edition D and D fifth edition is way out ahead. Yeah. Uh, that takes up sixty percent of the market. Nice. Uh, I think you can probably guess who's second. Is it Pathfinder? It is Pathfinder with ten percent of the market. So right. so so D D is six times the size of Pathfinder. Wow. And that's D D fifth edition. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the interesting thing is after Pathfinder you get D D third edition, well three point five. Ah yes. It's the third most popular game played on Roll Twenty. Right, okay. Before any other game at all. We're still talking flavours of D D essentially, because mm. Pathfinder yeah. is D three point five sort of or what that evolved into. Yeah. Um so the top so the top three we got uh D D fifth edition, sixty percent of the market, mm-hmm. Pathfinder about 10%, mm. D&D 3.5, another sort of just under 4%. Right. So, so we're at nearly 75% of the market now, and 70. we're still talking basically flavours of D&D. Uh, then we get into the fourth position, and but now we're, we're the under 3%. Yeah, no, yeah. Nothing, nothing else we're going to mention is going to sort of break the 3% mark. Yeah, yeah. Call of Cthulhu yeah. is currently number four, but that's just had a sort of like sudden rise this quarter. Okay, yeah. Um, at 2.5%. Mm-hmm. Warhammer... Two percent, Star Wars one point six percent, Lord of Darkness one point five, Shadowrun one point two, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Starfinder 1.1. That's, oh. had, that's actually had quite a rise since the uh, previous segment. Yeah. Uh, and then we're down to sub 1%. So we've got mm. Fate, Dungeon World, mm-hmm. Apocalypse World, Savage yeah. Worlds. All of these are sort of like, you know, 0.8, right. 0.7, that sort of thing. 13th Age, Stars of Love Number, GURPS. Right. And then the numbers just get smaller and smaller as you go down. Okay, yeah. So that's a, that's a sort, of, sort of broad overview of how that, that RPG segment is kind of mm-hmm. divided up. And that also tallies fairly closely to the top five that ICV2 reports each yeah, quarter so as I, well in their So if I pull up the most recent chart from ICV2, we had uh, D&D in first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had Starfinder, which mm-hmm. had briefly overtaken Pathfinder, which had been dropped to third place. Yeah. Partly because Starfinder has released that quarter. Yeah. Partly because um, Pathfinder has announced a new edition coming up, I expect. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. fairly sure that will... No, they'll reverse places again very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get Star Wars. Oh, okay. Fantasy flight game Star Wars mm. in, uh, in using uh, the Genesis system. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, it's interesting to see that Starfinder outpaced Pathfinder. This was full 2017. Those rankings. Mm-hmm. What is quite interesting is if you uh, if you have a look at these D and D figures, Wizard of the Coast have sort of uh, announced a few sort of player player figures. They spoke to the Seattle Times. Um, a, sort of two or three months ago. Yeah. And they told them that North Americans, North Americans, they have 15 million D&D players. 15 million. Now, if you compare that okay. to the population of the US, I realise North America isn't What's just that? the US, but yeah. um, just the US, that's what, 325 million, uh, I guess, somewhere Some, like that. I mean, if, if, we were just, if we were just talking the US, that would be one in 20 Americans. Mm. Obviously, we're yeah. talking Canada and, and Mexico, Mexico as well. As well. So yeah, yeah. it's not it's not quite that, but it's still, it's a quite a high percentage. What is also uh, interesting news? Apparently, forty percent of D and D players are women. Yeah, that's not a surprise to me. That's certainly a big, big increase on like traditionally what it used to be, Mm-mm. where women were very, very, very much a small percentage of the of the player base. Yeah. So that definitely shows there's been a seismic shift in the sort of demographics that play D and D, or the demographics that admit they play D&D. Oh, all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, like I say, a surprise if anything, it's not nearer 50%, to mm. be fair. Yeah. Well, D&D sales themselves in 2016, they mm-hmm. grew 44% in just that one year. Woo. That's nearly a 50% rise in just one year, and it's still going up. Um, they said last year, 2017, was the best year that D&D had ever had. And I assume that includes sort of the big 80s the boom. boom of the 80s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we couldn't move for, like, D&D-themed... And obviously with, with D&D cartoon, the D&D yeah. action figures. Yeah. Lunchboxes, um, frisbees. There's also some interesting information about how these new players are um, acquired. Yes, yes. Uh, so, according to Wizards of the Coast, more than 50% of new players since 2014 watch games online. Okay, like... That shows just how yeah. significant the streaming segment is and how important it is to sort of player acquisition and... And things like that. Right, right. Certainly, certainly for those of a younger generation, the teens and the 20-somethings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I think what a lot of people don't realise is how much things like YouTube and Twitch and stuff is the source of media that a lot yeah. of, yeah, a lot of under 25s use these days. You know, because mm-hmm. I, I um, was chatting to a friend at UK Games Expo, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, if you have a month, and they said that, in the morning, their kids come down. They don't switch on the telly. They switch well. They switch on the telly, but they go to the YouTube app on the telly Mm-mm. and just look at you. You know, their idols are YouTube presenters. That I think is you know something that a mm. lot of 
a lot of people in their 30s and above probably don't appreciate the way that the actual media and entertainment has shifted into so much of the online stuff, mm. which obviously D and D is showing through, yeah, oh. through to pick up through Twitch and everything. Well, I think it's. I mean, it's not just D and D using Twitch to sort of showcase their games, and it's not just Wizard of the Coast doing it. It's mm. the fans playing Wizard of the Coast games. I mean, Wizard of the Coast sort of sponsors a few major shows and Critical yeah. Role. Interesting. Critical Role's just left Geek and Sundry, by the way. Did you know that? Oh, that is breaking. Um, they've decided to spin off on their own. They've, right. They've got their own sort of, I think, Twitch channel and YouTube channel and all that sort of stuff. Nice. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to affect things going forward um, mm. or what Geek and Sundry are going to do to replace them. I think they're going to continue to host them for a while. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. And the, the other, yeah, because Critical Role owned all their IP, yes. everything that they were doing. Mm wasn't actually owned by um, Geek and Sundry. It right. was still owned by the team. Right. So, you know, okay. that was, you know, that, that's made that move possible. Mm. So it's whether yes. or not um, Geek and Sundry look at replacing something. But also the guy who was running the Star Trek one uh, from Modifius, so it was a Star Trek Adventures. Uh-huh. Um, oh, one, Geek and Sundry yeah. again, yeah. Now, he is also finishing up the Star Trek Adventures and starting up a brand new thing that I think I think that he may have created himself. Mm. So, yeah, and that was another one that was approved and very, very popular. And mm. there's been some debate about whether or not a lot of the people that were watching it will stick with his new one because, of course, a lot of people watching it were probably Trekkies that might not really be interested in, you know, a, a different fantasy one. But, yeah. you know, but there's, like Russ was saying, there's a ton of companies doing it. Um, the guy at Son of Oak who do Cities, City of Mist, which is a superhero powered by Apocalypse game, mm. have got a big one that they've been pushing. Um, of course, mm. Ian Publishing have teamed up with Warp to do the um, yeah. What's Old is New yeah, yeah. series. Mm-hmm. And there's so, you know, it is becoming... I think it's becoming a fairly common, yeah, it's, it's commonplace now. If you find a an RPG company, there's a very, very good chance they've got a official live stream of some kind or they support one or or, like or they sponsor one or, or something like that yeah no absolutely yeah, it's um, one of the common requests I often get is uh, can I come along and watch RPGs being played yeah I mean I, I would I suspect that that's not as much fun I've, no. I've never been able to actually watch I like people who do live streams generally the better live streams at least mm-hmm. they're very good at doing that yeah, and they know how to make that an entertaining. Oh, of course, yeah. Thing. yeah. Whereas I, you know, if the three of us were to just sit down and play an RPG. I doubt anyone would want to watch that. I've, I've, had, I've <laughs> had people come along and watch games that we've been in, but we've tried mm. to encourage them to actually join in. Mm. Yes. Yeah, even if they don't want to say too much, at least then they're there and can actually participate. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the I think the idea of games as a media spectacle. Mm-hmm is something that a lot of, again, the older gamers have struggled with imagining. You know, when I, when I was gaming in the 80s and 90s, the idea that people would actually want to go to a theatre and buy tickets to watch a group of people role-playing on the stage, <laughs> you know, was, was ludicrous. Um, yeah, so, you know, we got a tiny, tiny sliver of this sort of worldwide entertainment market, and 60 to 70% of that tiny sliver is taken up by one game. Yes. Pretty much. And, and the next 10 to 15% is taken up on variations of that same game. Yes. And then everyone else plays for the last few percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd say, apart from obviously the big stuff like Twitch and everything else that's been mm. increasing the, 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 the industry, I think one of the other things that's helped so many companies um, be able to you know, do as well as they have has been things like the crowdfunded sites like Kickstarter. Mm. Because obviously, something like 7C that John Wick brought out a few mm. years ago 
they would never have had that sort of money if they'd just gone through the traditional we publish the book, we take it to retail thing. Yeah, no. the Kickstarter really exploded. And you see time and time again, even the number of smaller, you know, more avant-garde games might suddenly do like thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. Mm. Ten years beforehand, if they'd taken that through distribution, they'd have been lucky to sell a few hundred copies and maybe mm. make about five, six thousand dollars out of it. If yeah. and that would have been unlikely to cover most books' overheads and costs in the first place. Yeah. So Kickstarter certainly allowed, you know, A, the expansion of wealth in the industry, mm. but also being able to get a lot more units sold and in players' hands mm-hmm. because of the whole publicity and, you know, social networking that the kind of like crowdfunding. Yeah, I mean, there's been got. a number of sort of uh, developments, each of which have created what I think is like a, a great leap forward in the fortunes of smaller publishers like desktop publishing for example yeah drive through RPG yeah drive through RPG have a big mm-hmm. one something like the OGL crowdfunding and Kickstarter mm-hmm. all these are big sort of milestones all of which have contributed mm-hmm. to a big step up each time yeah so I wonder what the next one will be oh that'll be exciting if only we knew if only we knew we, we could knew. do it right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I do know gets us that sweet <laughs> RPG money <laughs> I have an envelope here with a mystery in so um, we have a couple of Twitter questions here um, you can you can of course you can send us these questions via Twitter yes. via the Facebook group which you can find mm-hmm. linked off of our Podbean page yes. which you'll find at morris.podbean.com Ooh. morris.podbean.com yep um, so we've got a question from Joe at Joe RPGs interesting Joe wants to know favourite random monster and why so Peter would you like to go first I'm going to go with the Sturge why it's an absolutely fantastic low-level monster, which, you know, it's basically, for those who haven't yet come across the sturgy goodness, is a flying, blood-sucking mosquito, which is about the size of a small house cat. In addition to, of course, most people being familiar and us having a conceptual hook to hang off the idea of a giant mosquito, you've got it, like, landing, and it's got all sorts of, like, potential things that it can do to people generally involving lowering their hit points by like latching on and sucking their blood as opposed to having to hit AC uh, or just like having an extra special attack. Uh, yeah, generally big flying mosquitoes, size house cats, coming, flying through the air, landing, inserting their proboscis into your Do you know, soft I flesh. I have never in my life heard anyone talk so much about a sturge. And now you have. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and breathe. <laughs> Angus, what about you? Um, I think probably the gelatinous cube caused a mm. hell of a lot of good choice, when we good were younger. Choice. Um, they seem to be everywhere and were a real bugger to try and oh, get rid of. The floating um, skeleton. And mm. actually, within the last few days, I think Phil Reed, who now works as yeah. um, at Steve Jackson Games, pretty sure he was completely teasing about it and it's not going to happen. But he was saying that he really wanted to write a new RPG, it's a little teaser, a silly little RPG where you play the gelatinous cube. <laughs> I say, yeah, I get it. So my yeah. favourite random monster, which I think is an amazing one to put on a random encounter table. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably you can interject this into um, any adventure, mm-hmm. probably low-level adventures. It's perfect for low-level adventures. Mm-hmm. Come up frequently, I think, is, is, is the Orcus. I like to introduce, say, perhaps 2d6 Orcuses into a low-level encounter. Orcus, as you know, is a demon prince. 
Yes, I thought that's what you meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I find that spices up. Any, so yeah, that's my that's, that's my favourite random monster. So we got another question. <laughs> uh, the next one is from um, our friend Triumvin. Mm. You said, ah, those, you said those lovely things about about our sketch last week. I like them better already. Triumvin wants to know mm. what's the single most useful thing players can do to become better as a player of tabletop RPGs generally, rather than from just one specific system. And I think the answer to that one's fairly easy. Try and play lots of different RPGs rather than just sticking with one system. I've, I'm one of those people that for many years I only played D and D. Mm-hmm. And I sort of like couldn't even imagine playing other games. I just got pretty much stuck in, and you know, I enjoyed it very much. I'm not, I wouldn't take that back, but um, you know, in the last sort of decade or two, I've expanded interests. You play Pathfinder as well as D&D. I play Pathfinder as well as D&D. And also I play D&D 2nd edition, 3rd edition, 3.5, 4th and 5th. So. Basic. I, I had uh, no yeah, idea. Yeah, I did. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's a bit hard. She's not kind of sick. Come on, Anger. Amount of versatility you say. Yeah, so my, my, my suggestion is to play as many different RPGs as you can. If you can play one-shots, play them at conventions, play them with different people, because mm. every time you play with someone different, you're going to learn something new. Yes. Um, you know, if you just play the one game with your one group, that's perfectly fine, and you mm. have great fun, and you can... I know people who've had groups going for, you know, 30-odd years. I've, my Thursday night gaming group's been going for, I mean, nearly 20 years now. And that's, you know, that's totally fine. But, mm. or get down to a club, like yeah. um, like the one Peter runs. Southampton Guild's role players. Yeah, yes. and, uh, you know, you can play all sorts of different games with all sorts of different people, and, you know, that is by far the best way to... Yeah, no, it's true. Um, in fact, one of the things we're doing at the moment, because we're a role-playing game club, is there's a tendency with them to sort of, like... You go and sit down at a table and then you're there for the next five years. So what we're actually doing is doing a big reset. Uh, we're sort of synchronising all the games again. So that each campaign should be about six to eight weeks long. Mm-hmm. And then that means that GMs can get to play different games, which is always a good way to improve your gaming. Um, and also that other people can like try out different systems. Oh, yeah. It's like a game of musical chairs. After six to eight weeks, everybody moves around to different groups, different GMs, mm. and everything else. That sounds very athletic for this game. Okay. I assure you. It's a pretty different subject. I asked a question of my GMs at the club. Okay. Yeah, uh, which was, uh, one of my players can't make all sessions, often having to cancel at the last minute. How should I handle this? You could behead him. I mm-hmm. guarantee he will not cancel ever again. Um, that would be effective... Here's my thoughts on that. So things come up in people's lives. It's mm-hmm. fine. Um, it happens. It's, I've had to cancel. Everyone I know has had to cancel from time to time. Mm-hmm. I think as long as you give notice, yeah. and you're not one of those people that just don't turn up and just ruin everyone else's evening. It is a social commitment. Yeah. And you are as, long as, as long as you give notice, fine. Um, just, you know, just work your way around it. Uh, but I think it's like if someone has to cancel at the last minute, and there are a lot of very good reasons to can't cancel at the last minute, job like working for National Health Service, mm-hmm. having to work late at night, IT professional on call, you work in the service industry. No, I think, I think with those things, it's, it's, it's the same rule though. I mean, oh, we, as long as you're call. up front yeah. with people about that's that's my situation. Mm. You know, some weeks I'm not going to be able to make it because I have to work because that's the nature of my job. As long as people yeah. know. And I think it very much depends on the game and also the group as well because, yeah, yeah we've we played in groups where we have a minimum required players. So if yes. we have one cancellation, we're still going to do it. You have mm-hmm. two cancellations. Yeah, basically, we'll aim to get down to at least three players in the GM. We've, also, we we've that, also played in groups we'll which we 
haven't managed to get a quorum for six months in a row. Yeah, you've got to make the calls, but how to actually handle it, that very much depends on the actual game because some mm. campaigns, it's so crucial to have yeah. the individuals there, especially if it finished on a cliffhanger or something mm. like that. Yes. Other games, it's very easy to have them kind of like, you know, fade in the background. Yeah, so, like, certainly in my games, you know. if someone's not there, you just, you don't mention it in game. Mm. And if they turn up the next game, you don't, it's just yeah, it's background element. There's no explanation needed to why they've managed to suddenly appear in this locked cell where everyone else is. Mm. They just are. Now, Monty Cook's Invisible Sun, they've got a really cool mechanic in there because the thing is, the whole thing's about, you know, different realities and stuff. So if one of your players can't make it, they just fade out. <laughs> of reality for that session nice. they're just not there they, they, they're gone and then they'll come back again yeah but um yeah so there's mechanics like that the coolest one i think i saw was um through dead gentleman who's a, a film production company mm-hmm. who do they did the the gamers but what they had is to symbolize this person hasn't been able to come to game session they carried around a cardboard cutout of that character and I thought that was very, very cool. <laughs> Obviously, unrelated to actual tabletop RPGs, but very, very cool. Indeed, indeed. Okay, yeah. that's uh, GM advice segment over for the week. As always, send us your GM questions. We don't promise to be accurate or even competent, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> competition time! Woo-hoo! So as promised, here is this week's competition. <gasps> Uh, if you listen to our sketch earlier in the show, which we'll all agree was hilarious and perfectly acted. Yes, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you all no doubt have memorised all the finest details <laughs> from that sketch. The prize this week is a soft cover colour copy of Now, the modern action role-playing game. Ah. Woo! We'll send that straight to you next week if you are the winner of this competition. Um, as before, you can tweet the answer to me at Morris. M O R U S. M O R U S. All together now. M O R U S. Or you can post it on our Facebook group if that's easier for you. The question is as follows Where did the three eyed bladder beast live? Where did the three eyed bladder beast live? Tweet or Facebook your answers to us. We'll announce the winner next week. Competition deadline, Friday midnight GMT. Yes. So on July the 4th, next week, which is next Wednesday, uh, the Ennies, the EN World Gen Con RPG Awards, the nominees for 2018 are being announced. (gasps) Exciting stuff. Yes. We'll be recording the episode in advance, obviously, and we'll be releasing the episode on Wednesday where we will discuss those nominees in our mm. NE special. In the NE special where we discuss the nominations and also the winners? We're not or- going to discuss the winners because we don't know the winners yet. Uh, but the, the winner- <laughs> Nobody's voted yet. The oh. NEs go, go to a public vote. Ah, the, so nominations are July the, 4th. The nominations yes. get revealed no. on July 4th, and then at some point it'll be opened up for two to three weeks' worth of public voting. Yes. And then, but then the closes, get announced at Gen Con. Yeah, I think the voting oh, closes exciting. about a week before Gen Con, mm. doesn't it? Or so. Yeah, it's quite close. Right. And then there's a big ceremony on Friday night at Gen Con in Indianapolis mm-hmm. with a star-studded cast of presenters <laughs> who will then kind of, like, reveal... River of Winners. Who yeah, we've got, like, A-list movie actors and... Well, maybe not. 
yeah, the ceremonies are really great fun nights as well. Mm. To be honest. It's a good mingling night yeah. as well, isn't it? And there's so, a bar, which helps. Yeah, there's secret auctions of a lot mm-hmm. of kind of products that have been nominated and stuff. Oh, and nice. Also, even on the run-up to that, which I presume mm-hmm. is going to be happening again, um, you can bid on eBay uh-huh. to go to Eddie's. Yeah, the Dream, ga- with, the dream yeah, Dates program. Dream. So essentially, you can mm-hmm. you can make a bid to attend the Eddie's with, depending on which X, publishers are generously like, volunteer to, to do this, you could go to the Eddie's with Monty Cook, or you could go to the mm-hmm. Eddie's with... You know, sort of like the Pale Rain Press Crew or, you know, things like that. Yeah. You know, the publishers are usually very, very generous with their time for that sort of thing. They're great. Yeah. And also a lot of time the publishers will throw other things in. For instance, um, mm. you know, kind of like you might have a number of signed books by that publisher Ooh. or something like that. So, yeah, there's it's, nice. it's very, you know, it can raise a fair amount of money. Yeah. For so I'm looking forward charities. to that. So next week, our any special, we'll discuss the 2018 NE's nominations. Well, that's the end of our podcast for this week. Thank you very much for listening. And that's goodbye from me, Morris. It's goodbye from me, Peter. And goodbye from me, Alice. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.